I'm Jim Juno, and this is Lights, Camera, Author. Robin Hood, Dick Turpin, Ronnie Biggs, The Craze, all have become folk heroes, glamorized and romanticized, even when they killed. But where are the female equivalents? Where are the street robbers, gang leaders, diamond thieves, gold smugglers, and bank robbers? Queens of the Underworld by Caitlin Davies reveals the incredible story of female crooks from the 17th century to the present. From mall cut purse to the black boy alley ladies, from jewel thief Emily Lawrence to bandit leader Elsie Carey and burglar Zoe Progel. These were charismatic women at the top of their game. Caitlin Davies unravels the myths, confronts the lies, and tracks down modern-day descendants in order to tell the truth about their lives for the first time. And I talk with Caitlin about her new book, Queens of the Underworld. Caitlin Davies, your new book is called Queens of the Underworld. And it's one of the first books published which deals with female crooks in the UK, isn't it? Yeah, isn't that strange? Very, very strange. You would have thought that, um, you know, you're under the impression that either there never were any women professional criminals because, you know, where where have they gone? I, I couldn't believe when I when I started it that um, I couldn't just pick up, you know, lots of other books and find out about all these women. Yes, and, and the amazing thing I was finding out is that, is that well, there was one American in there, uh, but... Also, the very first person you talk about um, after the introduction is Maul Cutthroat. And, cut Purse. Uh, hmm? Cut Purse. Cut, uh, cut, what's her last name? Cut Purse. Cut because Purse, cut, I'm sorry. Yeah, but uh, seats used to, your purses used to be, um, you know, you'd wear a purse or men would wear a purse on a piece of string, like attached to their clothing. So C's would cut the string and therefore became known as cut purses. That's right. And I said cutthroat. That's what I got my, <laughs> I'm reading, I'm looking at your book or looking at it and I still get it wrong. But um, the, uh, the thing is though, is that the term in America, gun mall or mobster mall actually comes from the nickname that she was given. Um, yes, that's right. Yeah. Well, Mole was a sort of a general nickname for a sort of, you know, um, disreputable woman, basically. So Mole was used a lot and quite a lot of criminal women called themselves Mole as well. I mean, we're talking 17th century, you know, 1600s here. Right. So her, her re real name was Mary Frith. Mary Frith, she yes. Was, she was known as and immortalized as Mole, Mole Cutpurse. And that's how that's how well that's how the term in America came came to be when talking about mobsters, ladies, and mobsters, uh, girlfriends, whatever. They became gun malls. Yeah. And um, that was something really wild. But a lot of these, well, a couple of these uh, of these, uh, we'll call them criminals or queens of the underworld. They, uh, they may not realize this in America, but in the UK, they were they were contributors to TV shows, weren't they? Um, you mean more in more modern times? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there were you, some of the women have appeared on on TV, you know, in in the past. Yes. Yeah. Well, some of them, like uh, Chris Tchaikovsky. Chris Tchaikovsky, I know she's a very interesting woman. Well, they're all really interesting women, <laughs> but she she led uh, an international fraud gang um, in the nineteen seventies. And she was in and out of Holloway Prison in London, which is the, the, the biggest, was the biggest 
prison for women and, and the most famous prison for women. It's where um, all the most of the suffragettes were held and force fed. So it's a very well-known place here. And um, she was in there a couple of times and she was so appalled at conditions inside and, you know, the situation of women inside and that they shouldn't have been there that she, um, you know, retired from her criminal life and became a campaigner for um, prison reform and um, was a co-founder of Women in Prison, which today is still the, the leading charity for women affected by the criminal justice system. Um, so, yes, she was on TV a few times and she also um, contributed to storylines to a programme called Bad Girls. Right. It was uh, very big in the UK, very, very big in the UK. Right. And since this is Light Camera Author, we all we try to tie in uh, what the books are to the entertainment industry. And even though these shows may not be uh, may not be shown in America as of yet, they were, like you said, still very big in the UK. Hmm. They were absolutely massive. And it's about time some of these queens of the underworld <laughs> got, got their fair due and that we had films about them and TV programs about them because, you know, we're, we're saturated with uh, media coverage, you know, films and, and TVs, uh, TV programs, dramas, documentaries, et cetera, et cetera, of the, con- the male contemporaries of these women. I'm sure people in the States have heard of The Craze, for example. They might have heard of Ronnie Biggs. They probably heard of Robin Hood, you know. Oh, all certainly. these people, all these people have been... Uh, like I say, immortalized, and yet the women who were working at the same time, who at the time were incredibly famous, have just been written out of the history books. So you know, um, there's a, about um, a dozen main women in this in the book, covering 400 years, and and lots of other sort of walk-on parts by other women as well. And each one of them, you know, deserves their own feature, deserves to be Hollywoodized, I think, as soon as possible. The uh, the first one you mentioned, and you and you met her daughter, and I'm, please correct me if I mispronounce her last name, Zoe Progel. As far as I know, that's how you pronounce it, Progel. It wasn't her birth name. Um, so Zoe Progel was a um, in the late 1950s and early 1960s. She was Britain's number one woman burglar, and she was also for a while uh, officially public enemy number one. And that was after she escaped from Holloway Prison, the prison uh, I talked about earlier. Yeah. She got the name Progel because of a very brief marriage to an American GI. Um, she used to target American GIs, actually, which, which a lot of uh, criminal women did at the time because, you know, they were, they were over here and they were better paid than <laughs> <laughs> their UK counterparts. And they had silk stockings and chocolates and... Uh, and all the rest of it. So Zoe married, yes, married um, an American GI, um, and that didn't last very long. But she kept she kept his name. And but she didn't. Uh, well, she tried to. Re- would you say she tried to reform, or was that merely just? No, I think that was a barefaced lie. I think um, <laughs> because after she was recaptured, so she escaped from Holloway Prison in the summer of 1960. Um, after she'd been caught for, uh, you know, a couple of burglaries that she'd done. She was very skilled at um, stealing, you know, high-value goods, particularly jewellery. She was a sort of a raffles character who could tell in- instantly the worst, you know, of what she was taking. Uh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. Did you say, okay. did, I, did I meet her? her you met her daughter. That's right. Yeah. So, um, oh, yeah. You asked me whether she'd retired or not. So uh, when she was serving her final sentence in prison 
she wrote a memoir in her prison cell uh, called Queen of the um, Woman of the Underworld. And in the book, at the end, having thoroughly enjoyed telling us, you know, all her wild stories, at the end she says, right, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, I'm going to get married. I'm going to be a good wife and mother. Um, I'm very sorry about my life of crime, and I'm never going to do it again. Um, and then when I met her daughter, um, her daughter told me a completely different story. She said her mum had never retired. And in fact, for the next 20 years, she went on as a, as a professional crook. Um, and she hadn't regretted her life of crime at all. She thoroughly enjoyed it. She said it was better than sex, which That's actually right. actually quite a few women um, uh, made, made that comment um, about their criminal career. So no, Zoe, real, I mean, Zoe was a, a very, you know, a, a young, glamorous woman who who mixed with all the sort of top male gangsters of the day. And uh, I don't think it's going to be too long before we, we see her story brought to the screen one way or another. And like you said, I mean, a lot of these women uh, did it for the thrill of it. Yeah, they did. They enjoy. I mean, a lot of them were initially, you know, persuaded or sometimes coerced into becoming criminals. Shirley Pitts, for example, who was the um, known as the queen of the shoplifters, you know, as a very young child, five, five six years old, um, she was told to go and steal, you know, milk off neighbours' doorsteps because the family didn't have any food. So, and Zoe Pogel also began her career very young, swimming in the Thames and um, stealing food, just basic food items from, from barges in the River Thames. So for a lot of them, um, quite a lot of them, that's how they started. Um, and then they discovered they were good shit. You know, they, they took it seriously, whether they were shoplifters or, or burglars or getaway drivers or leading fraud gangs or smuggling gold or, you know, there's a, a, a huge range of crime that they committed and they saw themselves as professionals. It, it was their job and, uh, and they were proud of it. And they were particularly proud of their skills at disguise, you know, to a lot of them, the whole dressing up element of it and, you know, taking on these different roles, nearly always very feminine roles, which whether they subvert in order to commit crime. You know, that's one thing that struck me about almost every uh, queen of the underworld in this book. As much work that they put into their craft, it seemed like they, if they had chosen another path and put as much energy and work into that, they could have been a successful, legitimate uh, business person. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a fair comment. I think not so much if they would have chosen, but if they had been given those opportunities. So a lot of these women, you know, their first arrests, their first convictions came when they were young for very, very minor offences, stealing a pair of, I don't know, a shirt or a pair of shoes or, mm. or in one case, you know, some apple and oranges. And um, once you've got a record, you know, once you've been to prison and you come out of prison, it's very difficult to, you know, to enter... Um, you know, legitimate uh, work, very, very difficult in, indeed, as a lot of these. And if they'd been given different opportunities, then, yeah, they would have been, you know, visible. There were business women, but there would have been, you know, li li a lawful business women, and they would have run fashion empires, and they would have, um, you know, been in government. And, you know, if those opportunities had been there and if they'd been encouraged to take them. But ha having said that, 
Um, a lot of them enjoyed, as you said, the thrill of crime. You know, they nearly all described the buzz, the adrenaline. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why, even though they were famous at the time, and this applies right back to the 1600s to today, they were famous at the time and the police talked about them, Scott Millard talked about them, the press talked about them, they were internationally known, a lot of movement between the United States and the UK of women, you know, working together and going backwards and forwards. But the fact that they enjoyed this, that's what makes them really worrying, I think, um, to sort of, you know, to, to a lot of readers and, and therefore, and a lot of historians and a lot of journalists. Um, and that's why bit by bit, they were just taking out the history books. So hopefully this is, this is putting them back in. One of the things you mentioned in your book also is that, and we talked a little bit, or you talked a little bit about it or earlier, is how the media treated these women. Um, now these, and you mentioned in your book, or imply in your book rather, that that if they were men, the media would have treated them seriously. But since they were women, they were given pet names, they were given nicknames, you know, and that's a and that's basically because the culture of the time it was a male-oriented uh, media uh, culture. Well, yeah, the press have a lot, a lot to be held responsible for. You know, in, in many ways, they, they made these women famous, you know, they, but by these alarming headlines and these, uh, you know, stories and interviews. And they made up quotes and, and they lied and, you know, hey, little has changed. <laughs> no, I can say that because I'm a journalist. <laughs> but they, um, yeah, they really built the women up and portrayed them as being, you know, incredibly unusual and incredibly dangerous and needing to be to be locked up. Uh, and then as soon as that happened, they just sort of um, started, um, you know, p- putting, uh, patronizing the women, as you say, giving them nicknames. Um, so Zoe Progel, for example, the escape she made from Holloway Prison was the, the greatest jailbreak, jailbreak in 70 years. And when Bronnie Biggs of the, the Great Train Robbers made a very similar jailbreak a couple of years later, that's gone down in cinema history you know yeah. but uh but Zoe's hasn't and so today she's simply mentioned in passing as quote a, a good time girl um and her actual career as a criminal and her escape and she was on the run for 40 days which is um a very long time to be on the run uh for and and she was with her daughter a four-year-old daughter Tracy during that unfortunately Tracy can't remember much about that except that uh, it felt like a holiday. That's what she can <laughs> Yeah, she took her four-year-old, she was then four-year-old daughter, on the lamb with her. Yep, she did. Yeah, and, and some other people as well. She, Her boyfriend and a friend. And mm-hmm. yeah, there was a group of them and they went and, and hid out in a caravan park. And then I think she probably got bored because off they went on a crook's tour, a crook's tour of, the, of the Southeast Coast. And then <clears throat> Zoe popped up in London and started taunting the police. You know, she would she would ring and say, "Oh, the great escapee Zoe Pogel has been seen at this pub in Soho," and the flying squad, <laughs> the flying squad would go, you know, rushing there. And um, the minute they got there, you know, she'd gone, and they, they'd be the bartender would tell the police, "Oh, there was a, a woman here drinking, uh, you know, drinking a Bacardi or something a few minutes ago, and she's gone now." So there, well, that's another thing. The women loved tormenting the police. They loved, you know. It wasn't just the thrill. It wasn't just the thrill of committing the crime. It was getting away with it. 
you know, that was, and they weren't intimidated. They weren't intimidated by male police, uh, detectives, male judges, magistrates, you know, they, they absolutely refused to be cowed or bound by that, which is why I think they're so appealing because we, you know, the portrayals of professional female crooks who are not violent, and I deliberately were not looking at violent women, not looking at murderers, but professional crooks, they're thin and far between in popular culture. We don't see them. We still don't see them. After 400 years of after Mole Cutlers, we still don't have an image. And they're that threatening. They're that subversive because these women did everything that women were and still are to some extent not allowed to do. They went places that women weren't supposed to be. They did things women weren't supposed to do. Um, and their punishment for that is that they haven't been remembered. Would you consider them feminist? Um, I would say only one or two w- would call themselves feminists. I mean, Chris Tchaikovsky, who, who ran the fraud gang and, and then fought women in prison. Yes, you know, she was a feminist. Um, some of the women um, exploited other women, particularly exploited young girls and taught them how to shoplift and how to commit crime. Um, they attacked other women physically and, and other ways. So um, I, I don't think many of them would describe themselves as feminists. Um, but on the other hand, they were consciously, very consciously showing what women were capable of. I remember uh, in part of your book, you mentioned that they're, they're one, they're unrepentant. And two, even when they were convicted, uh, someone someone said in the old Bailey that that uh, that she got she got a heavier sentence because of because she was a woman doing what a man usually does. I think that might have been Jotty Delory, and she she stole um, four point five million from Goldman Sachs, and that was, I believe, in two thousand and fourteen. Um, and it took the police quite a long time to even believe that she had done that. You know, they thought that there must be a man or a gang of men but behind her. Um, and she did get a severe sentence, yes. And, and that, that did happen to a lot of women, that they, they're being held up, they were and are being held up to different standards from men. For example, whether they had children, whether they were mothers, that could go against them or that could go in their favour. And so they were held up to these very specific standards of femininity, of, you know, expected behaviour. And and they broke those standards. They were punished for it, whereas men were not. And when they were imprisoned, um, there was a a very deliberate attempt by the authorities to domesticate female criminals, which, again, absolutely didn't happen to men. So right from, you know, early Victorian times onwards, uh, women were being sent to become domestic servants. You were sent to prison or a reform school or a house of correction or a ball stall or the house of mercy or any of these other institutions which specifically were sort of reclaiming women, um, teaching them domestic skills and hoping they would go off and become obedient um, servants and then even better get married and settle down and uh, stop stop making a nuisance of themselves. <laughs> did you have a of all the people that you that you uh, featured in this book? Did you have a favorite? 
Oh, I, I ended up in, in love with quite a few of them, actually. Um, I mean, Zoe that we've talked about is one. Elsie Florence Carey, she she was a favourite of mine. She led a an all-male shopbreaker gang in the 1930s. Um, and the way she was portrayed by the police um, and uh, by the press, I mean, at one of her trials in the 30s, all the top five of Scotland Yard were there, you know, to witness her getting convicted. Um, you know, she was of, of that much interest. And um, they portrayed her as a hard-bitten East End gangster. And I managed to find her, um, let's just say relatives. You'll have to read. <laughs> I, I managed to find relatives who told me her true story. And it was just like, wow, I hadn't expected that that would happen. Um, and, and that happened a few times. There's another woman, Noreen Harbert, who was um, uh, a former debutante. So she was um, from a wealthy, privileged background. She'd been presented to the Queen of Buckingham Palace. And she went on to become uh, a gold smuggler. Um, and you know, she, was a, she was a funny woman as well. You know, I, I definitely enjoyed her. I mean, there are a couple of w- women in the book that I w- would not want to meet, um, particularly not on a dark night. You know? <laughs> um, but uh, so many of them, they have a great sense of humour, these women. You know, they, 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 they really were funny. Um, and it was and it was good fun writing about them. You know, you were uh, <clears throat> you were mentioning how hard of it was doing the research for this because you mentioned oh. in your book even like some of the things that were read official biographies, if you want to call it that, were written by males. Well, by- their story, their stories were filtered through men all all the way up to. Or maybe the 70s or 80s is where, you know, 1970s, where you start actually getting the women's own stories in their own words. Mm -hmm. So it's very, when when I first um, had said to to a publisher and my agent that I wanted to do this history of professional female crooks, um, and and I said, I'm sure there's loads out there, but actually I had no idea. So when I started, I didn't really have any. I mean, if you go and Google you know, famous British female crooks, and um, pretty much nothing comes up. You get um, Myra Hindley, who, who um, you know, who was convicted of murder, being accessory to murder, uh, and you get a couple of suffragettes who I would not classify um, as criminals. So it was like, you know, there were points when I thought, you know, am I right? Are there women out there? And how on earth am I going to find them? Um, and I found them just sort of buried away, really. You know, I would read endless memoirs by police detectives um, and endless biographies about people like the Craze. And there would be a little footnote, literally, a, a, a woman would be mentioned in a single line in the footnote. And then I would go to the newspaper archives and I would try looking for the woman. But of course, these women changed their, their names. <laughs> you know, some had people like Alice Diamond and uh, Maggie Hughes, who led the 40 Elephants Gang, a massive all-female crime syndicate. They had so many aliases. And at one point they had perhaps 40 women in the gang operating all over the UK um, and trying to work out who was getting convicted for what and who had done what was very, very difficult um, because all of these women, you know, they were professional criminals. They did not want to be found. They lied about their names. They lied about um, their ages, their date of birth, where they were born, where they lived, who they were related to. It just went on and on and on. There was one woman in particular, Diamond, um, sorry, not Diamond Doris. 
what was her name? Doris, and she was a, a jewel thief in the 20s. Um, and she was described by the press in the States and the UK um, as an American. And it was only right towards the end of the book and several years of research that I finally established what her real identity was. But on the whole, finding one woman would lead me to another woman. Like when I found Elsie Carey, then I found uh, her lover, uh, Queenie Day, um, a mention of her. And then I looked up Queenie Day and I realized Queenie Day was a criminal. And then I would you know, read about her and she might mention someone and then I would find her as well. And so by the end of it, I, was, I had too many women. I was, <laughs> I was cutting them out. And these women, it's really London-based, um, you know, because we have the old Bailey in London, the Central Criminal Court. Um, so, you know, really big, high-profile cases would be at the old Bailey. Um, and But my hope is that, is that you know people in in different cities in different parts of the world will will look for their own queens of the underworld because you know they're definitely out there. Yeah, and we want to make sure. I mean, I just want to make sure. Like this book, you're not glorifying these women. You're not you're not uh, lionizing them. I mean, you you make it you make it a clear point that these are not victimless crimes. These were criminals, and they're, it's just pretty straightforward these women did this? Well, yeah, I mean, this, this is something that, yeah, as I explained in the book and was, you know, one of the rules to myself when I set out is, that, of course, I'm not glorifying. Why, why would I glorify someone who's a criminal? I've been victim of, uh, of all sorts of crimes. Why, you know, and I don't find crime entertaining. I, it's not something I, I particularly want to watch or particularly want to read about. Um, it's that these women deserve to be taken seriously. They deserve to be studied. You know, we, we need to know about them because the, you know, I'd never really come across as much misogyny as I had when writing this book. I mean, the, the way that these women were condemned and the way they were portrayed by, by authorities, police, press, et cetera, et cetera, was really breathtaking, actually. It was like all society's fears and hatred of women were projected um, onto these queens of, of the underworld. That's why I, I want to know about them. And because, because as I said, they were famous and, and then they've been wiped out of history. So I want to try and get, you know, the facts right. I want to get the story right. I want to find out, um, you know, what they did and, and when, and I want to know why they did it. Um, so, yes, of course, it's not glorifying, but I, I have found myself having to justify this quite a lot. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't get asked of people that write about male gangsters and male professional cooks. They're, they're not, you know, they're not asked, are you glorifying these men? Should we really be looking at these men? No, it's, it's okay in some ways, to some extent, for men to do this. It's part of the macho role, but it's not okay for women. And even now in 2022, writing about them, um, yeah, I have to justify why I've written about them which is a bit tiring. <laughs> well, the book is Queens of the Underworld, A Journey into the Lives of Female Crooks. The author is Caitlin Davies. Caitlin, thank you for being on the Juno. Oh, I almost said the old name here. <laughs> thank you for being on Lights, Camera, Author today. Well, thank, thank you for having me. Queens of the Underworld, written by Caitlin Davies and published by the History Press, is available now at Amazon.com and wherever books are sold. 
Until next time, I'm Jim Juno, and this has been Lights, Camera, Author.